0: And now, the Street Photography Magazine podcast with your host, Bob Patterson.
1: Hi there, this is Bob Patterson, publisher of Street Photography Magazine, and welcome to the Street Photography Magazine podcast. And this is the first episode of 2023. We're recording it in December, and we have a special guest today, Carlos Beltran, actually Carlos P. Beltran. Uh, We featured him in January of 2020. And we recorded it probably about this time. And as you all know, after January 2020, the shit hit the fan. I don't normally say those words in the podcast, but that's what happened. We all know what happened after January 2020. And uh, so lots, a lot of things have happened around the world and a lot's happened with our guest, Carlos. Um, so it's really good to have him back because he has, uh, he's completed a book, a book that he was working on well before we talked to him in 2020. And, uh, it's, there's a fascinating story behind this book, which he, he can tell better than I can. And, uh, not just fascinating, but pretty disturbing. And, uh, I think we can learn a lot of lessons from what's going on in Venezuela, his home country. And, uh. Uh, we'll just let him do the talking anyway so Carlos is a um, he's a producer at NBC News and he's a photographer lifelong photographer street photographer and mostly he's a storyteller so Carlos sorry to ramble on so long but thanks for being with us and welcome
0: thank you Bob appreciate always good talking to you
1: yeah same here same here Um, before we get into things I wonder if you can just uh, for those who don't know you just give them give us a little your background how you got into this whole tv news producing photography world that you're in
0: (laughs) But like probably uh like many of your listeners uh photography has always been part of my life um just a compulsion to a degree Uh, as a kid I always did it um I eventually major in journalism (laughs) Uh, I did work my way through Anything that had to do with video making. I've worked in advertising. I've worked in um, commercial, uh, directing commercials, music videos, any of those cliches I did. And eventually I uh, fell in love with uh, the documentary format and genre. So back in, I, going back to t- 2010, 2011, I've been working in documentaries, both uh, medium format, uh, long form. Um, and I've produced stories for, you name the network, I've worked with them uh, as a freelancer back in the day, uh, National Geographic, uh, Discovery Channel, ABC News, NBC News, New York Times, New York Post. Um, and I then moved on to be in a staffed, uh, in a staff position back in 2017 and NBC, uh, News, and I've just continued to do that. I focused on, you name it, uh, drug trafficking in South America, uh, you know, politics in the U S trends. Uh, right now I'm working as a climate producer for NBC news. So, um, a little bit of everything. So <laughs> I wanted to give you the short pill on that and not ramble on too much.
1: Yeah. Well, you're a professional communicator. So, you know, keep it short, <laughs> right? Hit the high points. So that's good. That's good. Well, so you've com- finished a book Mm-hmm. You were you you were working on it. Uh, I I think I remember you even mentioned the, the project uh, when we talked last. I did, yeah. And so you you just finished this book after many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It suddenly occurred to me, mm-hmm. and I wonder if you could. And you did a number of videos about the book, which I encourage everybody to watch, and we'll put links to your basically your Vimeo. Uh, account or or Mm whatever you want, want to do that. Right. But um, give us the backstory on the book. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, So back in 2010, I was uh, producing a documentary on the um, prison system in Venezuela, in Caracas. And I had selected uh, three former convicts um, who were coping with the reality of being back in society in such a difficult country and such a discriminating society after spending years of their lives in some of the worst prisons in Latin America. Um, while I was working on that document, it took me about a year and a half working on that on that doc. Uh, one of the subjects was this woman called uh, Yadida Silva. And what I found most fascinating about her was the way that she expressed herself, the way that she talks, the way that she thought about the world, and her background as someone who was brought up in extremely precarious conditions, uh, abuse, uh, poverty, extreme poverty, she wrote, though, and that, that's, that's when this book came to, uh, to its conception. She would write literally to, to survive, go day by day. She wrote um, a lot when she was in prison. She spent eight years in prison for theft. Um, she uh, in her early twenties. I get I get that uh, asked a lot. She's the co-author of the book because uh, all, all all the texts are hers. My it's my photography. Uh, I get asked why why was she in prison? You know, she had to uh, steal in order to uh, to eat. As you know, some people might see that as cliche or not, but that's the reality. Um, so I met her in 2010 while we were working on that documentary And in the documentary called Voluntad y Paz. Um, she uh, we only get a glimpse of her writing and her talent. I mean, again, it's very difficult for me to get it across in just this interview. Sure. But her writing is just so powerful. Um, very unfiltered. She's a diamond in the rough. She she writes with a lot of spelling mis- mistakes, uh, grammatical errors, but the the essence is there. It's just very visceral. So I knew from then on. I said, look, how about when we're done with the documentary, which we finished by late 2011, how about we work on a on a, on a book? You know, I've been taking photos around, you know, hidden corners of Caracas and elsewhere in Venezuela. And you've been writing for many, many decades. How about we do something where we combine your poetry, your thoughts, and my photography? Um, so we, we got inspired, actually. I don't know if you know this, Bob, uh, uh, this book called The Sweet Flight Paper of Life, the collaboration between Roy de DeCarava and Langston Hughes. Uh, it's just a classic. Uh, basically, the writer and photographer came together to show their, I guess, very candid scenes of Harlem in the 1950s. And uh, I got inspired by that poetry and image working together, um, you know, so uh, I don't want to make it too long, but that's that's when we started 2010, 2011. And we worked on that book for about four years till 2014 on and off. She had a job I did, too. In 2014, my name is called on national television by the then vice president of Venezuela, and he named seven or other journalists over there. We were basically targeted on national television, called my full name. Um, I had been by then reporting on corruption, on political turmoil, and I, I was reporting from Venezuela to you know many U.S.-based networks, so I was person non grata, you could say. Sure. So in 2014, 2014 I had to stop. I mean I had to prioritize how I was spending my time, so the 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 project came to uh you know kind of a a halt. Until 2018. By 2018, I was already living in New York and I came across one of the photographs I had taken for the for the book and look it was just a simple, you know, email or text. I think I reached out to the writer Yadida through Facebook. And she has she had been living in exile in Colombia. She was politically per, politically persecuted, and we connected. And I was lucky that she wanted to move on with the project. She wanted to go ahead and, and finish it up. So it took two years for us to rescue a bunch of manuscripts, you know, that she had written, and they were stored in an abandoned apartment in Caracas. Still, we digitized them, transcribed them we edited them, we selected them, and then we translated them to English. And then we sequenced them with my photographs. So that took about a year and a half, two years. And in 2020, it had been designed by an award-winning designer who's based in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and we send it off to Venezuela. We wanted the book to be printed there. But then, as you said, 2020 came, pandemic hit. And then what would have taken about you know three, four months, Uh, took literally a year and a half, almost two years to produce this book, to put it together. There was lack of raw materials, lack of paper, staff, personnel, people getting COVID left and right in Venezuela. So it was a long time. So, you know, the book got here to New York in 2022, um, just earlier uh, in 2022. And then we printed a beautiful box for it that comes along with the book. Uh, in new jersey so yeah all in all from conception to production 12 years went by wow yeah
1: so you said that you were called out on television i saw the video clip oh right right and so here it is the vice president of a rather corrupt country on national i don't know if it was national tv or whatever yeah yeah mentions you by name mm-hmm. and i mean and he even said we're we're coming to get you he right. said mentions you by it gave me the chills <laughs> when i heard your name come out of his mouth yeah and how did that feel
0: oh god yeah it's um well, it's, it's a rush of adrenaline when I saw that. Uh, of course, I was not oblivious to what happened sure. to people uh, when they were targeted that way. So I think, to tell you the truth, I'm trying to remember uh, what happened. Is I, I'm I spent about 48 hours trying to decide what I was going to do, um, and I believe at some point I took a, a, a flight. <laughs> I don't think yeah. I've told. I've to, I, don't, I, I don't think that I've told this story uh, many times. I can now because it's been years, but. Um, a friend of mine had this contact uh, with someone who owned their own you know, private plane, mm. uh, small plane, small engine. And look, someone, uh, a friend of mine took me from Caracas to Western Venezuela. And I took a plane from there to Aruba uh, overnight. Uh, so, you know, just in case that someone had been, you know, tracking my passport or, you know, sure. exit or entry into the country or whatnot. So... Yeah, I went that route, and I got to Aruba, and I probably spent about a month or two months out of the country, and then I had uh, to use some other contacts, you know, to see if I had been, you know, put in some sort of list. But I, I was very stubborn. I still wanted to go back, uh, you know, to Venezuela because that's where the thick of my work as a journalist was happening. So I think that maybe in 2000, I left in 2014, like at late 2014, I was back in Venezuela. I was back oh. in Caracas. Doing some work over there. Uh again, I, I was, I don't know, probably young and uh and reckless. And I just thought, look, if I'm in no list over there, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go back. So I continue reporting on Venezuela. I continue, but I, I would just, you know, a little more selective. That's what I said. That if I was gonna be out on the streets taking photographs, I was not gonna do it for the project anymore, which is why the project came to a halt in 2014. From then on, if I was out in the streets uh uh I was with a video camera and I was probably with a correspondent or I was with an assistant and we're just working on documentaries and news segments. Um, so, yeah, because that's what paid the bills also <laughs> back so then. Yeah.
1: Can you go back still?
0: Yeah, I can. I can. Okay. Um, I can. I In fact, I covered political riots in 2000, yeah, 2014, 2016, 2017. I haven't been back since, since 2017, though. Uh, it's It's been a while since I've been there. Yeah. Um, but it's mostly because I'm traveling elsewhere for, you know, for my current job. But uh, but I do want to go back over there. Um, yeah. In 2016, something else happened. I'll give you the short version. But we were there with um, another mainstream uh, U.S.-based network, and we were filming what was happening behind closed doors in government-run hospitals. Uh, mortality rate was high. There was lack of medicine everywhere. Literal children were, were, were dying. And we're getting all that with, uh, you know, kind of small cameras, kind of covert. And the correspondent, the American producer and I must have been there for about 15 minutes. And when we came out, the national police was waiting for us. We would spend five days in political prison in Venezuela in 2016. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when you're there in prison, you don't know that you're going to be there for five days. You just just think, oh, my God, I'm I'm Venezuelan. They're going to make an example out of me. The American journalist and producer, they're going to get out of here. But... I am, you know, I don't know how how long I'm going to be. So that was, that messed with my, my head for, for a few days. Uh, luckily though, at the end of five days, I was, yeah, I was let go. And then that was in 2016. Um, oops, sorry. My Siri went off. Uh, but, um, and then, yeah, uh, that was 2016. Just to show you how stubborn I was. By 2017 2017 I was covering riots again <laughs> for many for many networks and th- that was it that was the at the end of it I I, I think I, I had met by 2017 who now is my wife <laughs> and uh, I couldn't be more like as reckless as I wanted to be obviously I had a partner there I wanted to be a little more conscious of how I was spending my time and <laughs> why I was how I was reporting and going about my job so I kind of calmed down more about you know then from then on I've been producing stories um in the US and elsewhere really
1: but yeah <laughs> when I, I i'm trying to think back on the on the history but in 2014 was mm-hmm. chavez still alive or, was N- he still, uh, or
0: no let's see i think he passed uh, again yeah, that's a very good question i think march of 2014 is when he officially i'll say officially passed away i think
1: oh okay um, All right.
0: but uh but yeah shortly after that he definitely passed um but yeah maduro took his took his place and maduro has been obviously the the person in, in power there i mean i could probably just spend hours talking about Venezuelan politics because it's just yeah. like a twilight it's a twilight zone at some point we had two precedents one was uh acknowledged by the u.s and a bunch of other countries one mm-hmm. wasn't but he's the one that you know had the power in the military it's just a chaos absolute chaos
1: yeah. i remember that Yeah, I remember that. It's, yeah, it's uh, (laughs) sad. I mean, it's, it's very disturbing. I mean, Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. But um, not to get ahead of your, of your, you know, question, but that going back to the book though, the book is what I, what we call an experimental biography on Venezuela because it does Mm -hmm. the, the the author Yadira coming from where she came from with their background She worked uh, for human rights for incarcerated people. She did work for um, a political party that was in opposition to to the government. Um, She had a lot of knowledge, so she wrote about what she saw. She didn't write about policies. She didn't write about, you know, governors. She wrote about what she saw in the streets, in her life, in her friends and family, inside of prison, outside of prison. So it was, you know, from her point of view, that's what the country was, and that's how youth in Venezuela you know uh, lived uh, you know with very little Uh, and I used my point of view coming from a different background I was middle class always was middle class uh, when I lived in in Venezuela I was born and raised there until I was 16 years old then I used my imagery my photography all taken you know back then in 2010 when I began this I it was cheaper for me to go about with a with a film camera and and film was relatively still cheap and available in Venezuela. So that I, everything is in 35 millimeter uh, Kodak film. Uh, The book was shot um, on that. Um, And then I just captured images. I just captured the images and scenes that I believe went about and went along with uh, the work and story and background of, of this writer, you know, Yadita. Yeah.
1: Now the, the photos mm -hmm. that of yours in, in the, uh, book are they were they shot specifically for the book or it's work you had been doing over the years no that's yeah
0: that's a that's a a fair question so I I started taking these photos um for myself in 2009 but then so it was about a year me taking photos because I wanted to explore you know these places I didn't have a project in mind then I just wanted to take these photos but in 2010, when I met Yadida, then that, the, like, we flipped the switch. That's when I thought, okay, this is the project. So from 2010 to then 2014, I took photos specifically with this project in mind. Some photos I took because I had read, uh, you know, texts from Yadida, the, the, the writer, that I thought, oh, yeah, this this is what she was talking about, or this is a reality that she was referring to. And vice versa, she would sometimes see some of my photos and then get inspired by them and write as well. So it's a little combination of everything, you know, work that she had done on her own, work that I had done on my on my own, and then work inspired by each other. Yeah.
1: You said that you rescued her, uh, her writing from right. an abandoned apartment. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds sort of cloak and dagger like. I guess I mean, <laughs> what... What's uh, the story behind that?
0: Well, yeah, maybe rescue is a strong word, but she yeah. had, um, she was, as I said before, she had been working with a political party that mm-hmm. was, um, you know, let's just say not favorable to the, to the government at the time. So she ended up being persecuted. Uh, she felt she was, so she had to leave and went to Colombia, from Venezuela to Colombia. And of course, she just left with a small bag. She would leave in a small apartment, Uh, where she was living Um, she called it an abandoned apartment because she never knew when she was going to go back to that apartment Um, she told me on the phone I'd left eight or nine of my notebooks or manuscripts in that apartment if you can get someone to go over there and find the key and go in then you'll have access to my work because uh, and that was in 2018 when I reconnected with her and she told me uh, where the writing was We hadn't, before then, we hadn't digitized her work before, you know. Um, Everything wasn't pen and paper, um, as she wrote. She never used a computer. So, yeah, basically, I was then living in New York. So I called a friend of mine who was still in Caracas, in the capital city. And I said, please, uh, let's, let's do what we can to find the key to the apartment and let's give those books. So it took us a few weeks to be able to get access to that apartment. Get the notebooks. And then I was lucky enough to be able to have a team in Caracas that digitized hundreds and hundreds of pages uh, from those Damn. notebooks. Um, and then and and that's why the process took relatively long. In fact, two years doesn't sound too long for that. But uh we had to take every single one of those digitized uh pages and then transcribe them without knowing whether or not we were going to, you know, use that text or poem or excerpt or not yeah we, we transcribed absolutely everything that was the sec. that was that stage and then like i said then we had to select uh edit filter and then you know uh and then translate at the end you know yeah
1: so you said she she had a very raw <laughs> writing style you know mm-hmm. a lot of misspellings right. bad grammar things right. like that but right. were you were you when you had her translator to English, were, mm-hmm. did you were you able to translate her style as well?
0: so so yeah, yeah that's a that's a very that's a very uh good good question here. Um, so well, first off in Spanish, um we I didn't want to mess with her voice, so her voice is still intact, okay the way that she thought, the way that like literally here's a funny thing, uh, what she does. She would be when you read some of the letters she wrote from inside prison, she would literally be you reading and then she would mark an ellipsis dot 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 and say something like, um, hold on, there's something going on out there. I'm going to go check it out. And then the next line is, yes, yeah, something is happening, but I'm going to keep writing to stay low. You know, as if she was just on a phone call. That's how she wrote. You know, a lot huh. of it was very stream of consciousness from from inside. Uh, so we didn't want to mess with that. And we didn't. However, we did edit some of the text to um, conform, you know, to, to, I'm not going to say conventions, but to get rid of misspellings, perhaps or grammars or perhaps for brevity. So we did uh, do a little of that work in Spanish. So then by the time that we moved it to English, by the way, in English, it took two translators uh, and myself to be able to do this uh, um, because the way that she wrote is very evocative, Mm -hmm. image rich. And also she uses a lot of Venezuelan dialect. So mm-hmm. the translator wasn't, you know, Venezuelan. So when they sure. worked on it, then I jumped on it because I've known Yarida for many years. And I knew what she meant and what she wanted to say. So I worked through it. But yeah, if that answers your question, I mean, we we kept her voice, but we, I'm not going to say fixed, but we kind of correct it for, you know, grammatical and um, mostly misspellings. Uh, by the way, there weren't a whole lot of many of them, but it's just the way that she wrote was very quick. It doesn't matter. It was, a, it was a, the, you know, uh, there's a tilde or not a tilde, or mm-hmm. there's a, an accent here or there. No, she she would just write that very quickly, which alludes to the title of the book, which is called It Suddenly Occurred to Me. Um, that's how she wrote, you know, on, on spur of the moment.
1: Yeah. And where does that title come from?
0: Literally, the when you begin the book, when you open the book, and by the way, the book was structured as a documentary with a cold open, Act One, Act Two, Act Three, and then mm-hmm. the epilogue. We call it the behind the scenes. But on the on the prologue, the prologue is a letter that she wrote from prison back in 1991, and it began mm-hmm. it begins with it suddenly occurred to me that I could write the things that go through my mind this very instant um and then that's and then she goes off on that letter so we just thought it was perfect (laughs) to to call it that yeah
1: man what a project so you decided to print it in venezuela i mean did you have to be did you have to do that on the down low i mean just given the political climate there
0: no not really i mean when it came to to politics and that kind of I mean, those fears were in there. It was more of a fear of look, uh, we send the project, we wanted to print it in Venezuela. And the designer, uh the designer's name is Faride Mereb. She's incredible, very talented. She's here in Brooklyn. But uh she said, look, we Yadira wrote these texts in Venezuela. You took the photographs in Venezuela. Um the 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 sales of this book will go towards uh foundation helping refugees everywhere. It makes sense for us as, as part of the symbol to print it also in Venezuela, despite all the challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, the challenges weren't political. The challenges were, were economic, you know, uh, and, uh, and availability. Uh, I think we turned it in in 2020 to the printers, to the press. And uh, I think f- six months had gone by and I, and I thought, Oh my God, we're, we're never going to see this book. Yeah. Uh, there's so many problems. I have no idea when it'll be you know, ready and, a year went by, a year and a half went by until we got the news, it's done. And now the challenge was, okay, let's let's get a container and send the books over to, to New York so we can finish them up over here, you know? So, yeah. But yeah. yeah, it was, yeah, go ahead.
1: No, I just, how long does that take? I mean, yeah. to, to but, get a container from Venezuela to yeah wherever, the port of New York.
0: <laughs> yeah. And not only how long, and but also how... Um, how expensive. Well, first of all, they don't get here to New York, they get to Miami, right? Okay. They're in Miami. Okay. And then from there, we had to hire uh, a truck to, you know, bring the books from there uh by land, obviously, to uh to New York. So it took two months, uh about that's how long it took to bring the books from, which also is nerve wracking because you don't you don't you don't get life updates on where your book is when you send things uh, via container from, from Venezuela to the US. So at some point I thought, oh my God, well, I hope the books are great. I hope the books were properly packaged and they're not damaged in any way. Right, exactly. Because these are not, you know, paperback books. These are everything from this book, the way they were, they were hand stitched and made and just very artisanal, each one of them. So they could be harmed by by heat, humidity, everything. So it was a waiting game. It was also very anxiety inducing. And I, ironically, I'm a very... um, impatient person so really? a project yeah I, I had to learn i had to learn to just let things go i had to learn to go with the flow uh, on this project and on other long-term projects i've had uh, over the past few years i just i've had to just calm down and find the instant uh you know gratification in many other ways <laughs> with other projects with my daily photography for example you
1: know? yeah shop so, yeah. on amazon that that <laughs> That's an instant gratification.
0: You're right. You're absolutely right. Well, I have a little camera that I use, you know, like a snap camera. And I also have um this uh, glorified uh, Fuji X100V just to take, you know, photos sure. as I go about the day. And that kind of takes care of my anxiety of outputting stuff out there. You know?
1: Yeah. You know, you, yeah, you talk about getting the book from overseas. Uh, Harvey Stein just published a book, his third book on uh, Coney Island. And Beautiful. he had it printed in India, yeah. And it's absolutely. like, you know, we had a, we recorded an interview in the spring. Mm-hmm. I don't think the book made it here until until uh, August. He's wow. like, yeah. he never knew where it was out
0: mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: there bombing around on the uh, in the ocean <laughs> somewhere.
0: Yeah, it's always nerve wracking, absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah. But it, everything was good. It arrived in great shape. Good, excellent good book. Continue.
0: <laughs> good. I will have to check it out. I haven't seen it. Good.
1: Oh, yes, yeah, quite good. It's quite good. He he's sort of like the uh like the mayor of Coney Island, I guess. He's he's been shooting it for 50 years.
0: And I love that. I love that because some of the greats, I mean, how many videos I've seen of uh great photographers from Gary Winograd to uh, you know, joe Meyerowitz shooting in Coney Island. I myself the other day, I I thought I would just take the train, it takes me 30 minutes to get to Coney Island and I thought but then again, I just leave it to the greats. I leave it to people who have been uh, photographing these iconic places for decades. I-, I leave it to them. I try to find my own little corner of the world yeah. <laughs> to, to try to photograph. If I if I if I have a project in mind, of course, that's that's how I view those things. Man.
1: So, no no new projects on the horizon.
0: Well, uh, well, right now, personal I am,
1: projects, anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, there is one that I had been um, you know mowing over. Uh, first of all, this this project over here, this book, has been such a. It suddenly occurred to me, such a life, you know, project. I mean, twelve years and coming to fruition is just incredible. We just started a um, a series of talks because we take the book to uh, to many uh, cities. We're going to be in Washington D.C., Miami. Uh, we might take it overseas. Um, so that's what's really taking my time right now. Personal projects. I do have one. I've been wanting to jump on, and I started about two years ago, b- before the pandemic or so, um, and it came as a result of a story that I did for NBC on social isolation in people who are ninety years or older. So I was talking to another. I always want to collaborate with someone. I don't think I'll ever work on a not for not now yet um, on a monogram. I want to work with someone. I want to add you know words, text, poetry, thoughts to to these books, not just my my images. Talking to a writer about doing a book on um, spending time with people who are 90 years or older in uh, in New York in all five boroughs. Statistically, these folks have lived obviously well. Obviously, they've lived a long life, but statistically, they're living through their last decade. Um, and they're just getting to hear them, take portraits of them, take yes. uh, snaps of them, and then listening to them. Uh, and these are people who usually are uh, because of the social isolation aspect. These are people who just live by themselves or see someone once or twice a week um so yeah i that's a project that i started two years ago and i really wanted to jump on it um but i i haven't really i i think we did about a handful of people and then because of the pandemic we obviously had to stop you know um but i'd like to resume it (laughs) maybe this interview over here will give me the the motivation to uh to restart it you know use my free time that way hopefully it won't take another 10 years but yeah
1: i think photographing older people is was, they're fascinating and and the photographs I, I, that's that's one of the things I really like to do is photograph older people so mm-hmm. I, I can see why you want to do that
0: yeah well right I always need that, a little bit of context right because otherwise I yeah. feel like I get lost in the in whatever everybody else is doing uh or or you know I just I, I always need to give something you know, a focus, which is why for the book in Caracas that we were talking about, uh, it had to be something with that background, the background of someone who wrote, you know, from inside, you know, some of the worst prisons in Latin America. I think that gives it that punch. And basically Mm -hmm. my my photographs serve to accompany that world, uh, you know. But yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a thing, photography, you know.
1: I remember hearing a story about, I think his name was Reinhold Messner. He he climbed Mount Everest. Oh wow. And you know, you have to train and and uh you know it's it's a huge undertaking to get up there. This was like I think wow. in the 1950s, nineteen sixties, something like that. Mm-hmm. And so he got up there, and I think the quote from him was, you know, I sat there and I felt like a stone because now what you know this is this great accomplishment now what do i do and and i hear that similar things a lot from people who work on big projects um that sometimes they just don't know what to do next because after all this preparation and all this work it's Mm -hmm. over Mm -hmm. do you ever feel like that especially with a project like this that's taken yeah a big chunk of your life
0: yeah absolutely well you go you it's probably like you get the completion blues you know it's like yeah you, you feel like oh god
1: <laughs> it hasn't
0: sunk in yet i mean we we launched the the book on um december 1st 2022 we launched it in brooklyn new york uh-huh. um and and you know a lot of people came over phot- photography enthusiasts we sold a few books in person we gave the presentation in the toast and the event was over and it still hadn't sunk in that that night had been 12 years in the making yeah. uh, to this day. It's, it's still, it's still not, you know, it's, it hasn't really sunk in yet. So at some point it will, and maybe I'll get a, a little down, but uh, I'm using my time now to then share the book with people again, because it's such a collectible item. There's only 200 in existence. We've sold 40 since last week. So it's 160 now. Yeah. Then my, my work is not just, okay, it's there now. Let's see what happens. Now I have to literally work on now the presentations, the talks, the panels. Uh, and that keeps me busy. That's why I, that's probably why I haven't really felt the what now, you know, kind of moment. But uh, it'll come probably, <laughs> unfortunately.
1: Yeah. So are any of your presentations scheduled as of right now uh, that you yeah. can share?
0: Thank you. We just had one. Uh, to, uh, on December 7th, mm. we had one at the center for book arts in New York, wonderful space for book and photo book lovers. It, it just, it's just an incredible space. If you, if you get a chance, go to a center for book arts, uh, at least their website to learn what they're doing over there. But, um, yeah, full house. Uh, and it was great. So my goal was for, for 2022 to end with the release of the book and at least one first talk. And we're just working yet, so we have nothing formally scheduled at the moment. But we know we're going to be in Washington D.C. We know we're going to be in Miami, Florida, and we are doing what we can to take the book over to Mexico City, mm-hmm. where uh, we'll meet with the author who now the co-author who now lives in in Mexico as well, so oh, that, that we can good. do a panel over there. So so far, we have uh, three or four places where we're looking at, of course, we'll put everything on our website. The website of the book is quite robust. I think we're adding videos and information about the book, how it came to be, and where we'll be, uh, if anybody's interested in looking at this 12 years in the making project. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the website is excellent. Well, thank very you. well done. Your videos, obviously, you're yeah. a pro. And yeah, it's, it's a good thing that I compelling. make videos...
0: Thank you. It's a good thing. I, I always uh, kid because when I give presentations, I, I, I apologize to people beforehand because I can be very long winded and talk for an hour or so very easily. So I just say, luckily, I make videos for a living. Here's the story in three minutes. Watch it. <laughs> and then you get you get a look at the a look and feel of the story and the look and feel of the book in just a couple of videos in the website if you're interested in doing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And you did all this. Working full time, right, right, in a job that's probably highly demanding.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I um, well, there's always sacrifices that come with that. I, I don't sleep too much. Not to be too cliche about it, I don't sleep a whole lot, uh, which I probably should if I want to be healthier. Uh, mm-hmm. At the moment, I don't have you know children. Not that if you have children you can't do this. It's just that I have that time that I'm using for myself. Sure, right. So that's. <laughs> So uh, yeah, no, I have my full-time job. I just finished this uh, photo book project and I have a feature film uh, in the works that we just finished production on that's been six years in the making as well. So um, I told my wife that once the photo book and the documentary are done, (laughs) then we can go on a long vacation somewhere and I can focus on, uh, you know, the next thing. But it'll probably take a while before I take on um, a mammoth of a project outside of my of course, day job, you know, yeah
1: yeah, so what kind of things do you produce for NBC?
0: uh short. a uh, short answer is at the moment, I am the the climate producer. Mm. So everything that has to do with um you know um, the climate crisis, climate uh, change. Uh, it's a topic that has been unfortunately quite politicized, but
1: yeah, um fortunately.
0: Yeah. But so that, that, that's what I do. I cover everything from, uh, you know, environmental justice to, uh, you know, clean energy to policies around it. Um, yeah, yeah. I work closely with, uh, with, uh, Al, Al Roker, if anybody knows who he is. Sure. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's, it's quite fulfilling. And I also get to work with many other units in the network. So that really keeps me busy and not only here in the U S but I get to travel quite a bit, you know, so, um, yeah. Yeah, certainly. That brings, uh, the new cycle is always a thing. Cause when you work in media, you know, the one day things might be slow and nice, uh, which is why I could probably take this, you know, hour or so to, uh, <laughs> to talk to you in the middle of a day. Um, and sometimes just absolutely wild. And, um, you know, you'll be working till very late at night or early in the morning. So just have to time management is actually quite, quite important. And knowing yeah. how to keep yourself a little healthy, you know,
1: yeah, it sure is. I'm still trying to get a handle on that one myself. <laughs> yeah, Al Roker. Al Roker. I lived in Cleveland for many, many years. Al Roker yeah. used to be a, a weatherman there. That's before great. He, yeah. Before he hit the went to work for NBC.
0: That's right. That's right. <laughs>
1: like nobody else in the world cares about that, but <laughs> maybe he does.
0: Maybe. Yeah. No, he's he's great actually. Um, Every time that I'm on an assignment, I take a little uh, film camera with me, one of those snapshots uh, cameras, mm-hmm. and I've taken quite a few of, of uh, Al, who's been very gracious and allows me to, uh, you know, mess around with it. But yeah, no, photography is always going to be. I mean, I, I now I tell stories in 24 or 30 frames per second, but photography is always going to be my 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 first love, apt 100. Since I was a kid, I wanted to be just like Eugene Smith, you know, and sure. photo essays and. You know, to this day I fall asleep just watching videos from the nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties on Gary Winogrand, Joe Merowitz, <laughs> uh, Mark Cohen, uh the Greats, uh, you know, Susan May Salas, who just re-released her famous uh book on uh, carnival strippers. Um I'm just I'm just obsessed with it. I I just absolutely love it. And photo books are such a thing because I love holding them, not to jump onto the whole, you know, hold no, them no, no. subject, but I but I but I love that, yeah.
1: Yeah, me too. There's just no substitute. I mean, we're a digital publication, like everything right. else. But you know, when you when you do a book, right, uh, or you print, you have yeah. total control over what it looks like on the other end.
0: Absolutely, and Absolutely. you have
1: no idea what how somebody's viewing your work at home on their-
0: Absolutely, the beauty the yeah. beauty about your magazine, for example, is um, it's how uh, accessible it also can be. Yeah, but I what I mean by this is that it's not just seeing photos on your Instagram, you know, feed or on your Twitter yeah. feed or whatnot. Is being able to just look at bodies of work to be present and be able to just spend some time with photography. Yeah, whether it's on on your computer screen or whether it's on, on a book, but that is being present, which is why I still own records to this day. I love the idea of just if I'm going to listen to music, I'll listen to the album. I'll be present for that amount of time. It's not just background music. You know what I mean?
1: That's true. Um, yeah that's true yeah i've <laughs> given most of my albums away fortunately my son-in-law has them and he's a real okay audio file, so, which is yeah. good so i can still hear them if i want i'm just it. not taking up space in my basement
0: <laughs> yeah storage believe me new york storage is always uh you know always a thing so I try oh, to be very that, selective.
1: yeah yeah my neighbors moved here from manhattan Okay. And they thought they, they died and went to heaven, you know. Then now they can shop at Costco. You know, they right. can never do of course maybe you don't even have Costco in in the city.
0: No, yeah. But, I don't know uh, I get it. I get it. No, it's 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 a thing. Look, my, my dream, if I can call it a dream, it's uh what I really want is to be able to have a space of my own to make into a dark room and mm-hmm. just spend time over there. I was lucky because in um in Brooklyn I used to be a member of um of a dark room community called yeah. Guanas Guana's Dark Room, beautiful. And I could just go over there at three in the morning and just spend hours just printing my photos. I just the the tactile aspect of it. Of course, it's non practical. Of course, it's more expensive. It just, of course, digital photography is obviously it's a, it's another world. But but just spending time just like that. All right, what well, I was talking about just holding a book or listening to a vinyl record or printing your photographs. It's just you zoning out and you're focusing on something instead of doing a you know a dozen things at the same time. So, but I don't have that uh, here in my apartment. I would love at some point have a little place. Maybe not in New York; it's completely unaffordable. But uh, once my wife and I decide whether or not we're going to go to the suburbs, then having a little place for me to just work on my photography on my free time—that'd be amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've gotten away from that. Yeah, never yeah. went back, and I have plenty of space. But yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> I was telling you about Harvey Stein earlier. He he lives in yeah. Manhattan, and he uses a, uh, like a shared dark room someplace, and he just goes yeah. over there, and has it all to himself. Beautiful. Does his work that's that's nice that's beautiful it's, absolutely yeah yeah so you live in one of the most exciting street photography places in the world do you get out and shoot much around home or you just don't have time for it right now
0: no I, I do I do like I like I said well I, I used to um work with only film because it made it more selective but since I got the a uh, digital camera that I'm I'm comfortable with, yeah, every everywhere I go, I I take the camera with me, and again, I know that many photographers do the same thing. There's nothing special about that, but um, my here's my my goal is to 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 put out one photograph a day that I like. I put yeah. everything on on Instagram, so you know I go run errands. It's made a little more you know, exciting if I go out and have to do an annoying errand, but with a camera in hand. So I'm always, you know, looking about for that one photo that I'm going to post that day. and So yeah, short answer is always. And I worked at 30 Rock at the moment, the moment of this interview, I still work at NBC and I work at 30 Rock, uh, which is an iconic building. So launch time comes, you know, I go out and go to, you know, Times Square and take a, a couple of photos over there. I try to see Times Square, which is such a, over photographed uh place at this point but i try to see it from a new angle try to find something special that i hadn't seen before you know new characters here and there so yeah that's that's the long answer to uh to your question i still do every single day take photos around here of course <laughs>
1: yeah great great so you do the commute into the city every day
0: yeah huh? uh i got it. yeah yeah it's not 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 too terrible uh to be honest but um but no in new york it's uh back and in- full swing, even, I would say, it feels like even stronger than pre-pandemic times. I mean, everything is packed to the brim uh, again. Um, And yeah, it's just an exciting city. (laughs) It's back to never sleeping. It's back to never being still. (laughs) Uh, You know, just, uh, and, you know, so far, I still feel like, you know, this is where my work is. Um, This is where my wife works as well. So we, we love it. I'm trying to say, I'm still not tired of it. At some point, I'm probably just going to get a little not overwhelmed. It's not the word. Maybe I'm going to be looking for a little more peace and quiet. (laughs) And New York is not a place for peace and quiet. Uh, So maybe, maybe I'll, I won't move too far away from it. Uh, Maybe I'll go upstate or something like that. But uh, so far, New York is just filled with imagery uh, and it gives me a lot of pressure. And I'm privileged to be able to photograph it every single day
1: yeah very nice so carlos why don't you uh tell us where we can learn more about your book yeah. and see your own stuff your instagram personal website whatever you've got yeah. of
0: course absolutely very easy for the book we've made this website it's just called suddenlyproject.com suddenlyproject.com uh, where we're you know putting the events but we're, where you can also find a lot of photos of the book videos of the book makings of the book um and my stuff at, in on every social media i may have i'm the same it's carlos p beltran um on instagram on twitter uh i don't even know if i have a flicker anymore but somewhere over there that's it <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you bob appreciate that
1: yeah you're welcome Also. In your video, the de- the book demonstration, you've got mm-hmm. a woman turning the pages. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who is that?
0: <laughs> That's my wife. That's, That's my your wife. wife. Yeah, Rachel. Rachel, what's her name? Uh, Yeah, she was very gracious. We turned my living room into a full-on studio for a day. And she probably hated me for about 48 hours after we filmed this because the directions were don't lift the page, glide the page. Don't oh, lift, I, uh, I would say that over and over. Uh,
1: <laughs> I bet you were popular.
0: I, oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, but I, I think she, uh, I mean, I think the video looks well. We, we filmed it. I think we overdid. We had like four lights, two cameras filming, you know, I wanted everything to be just to look and, and, and be good enough that people got a sense that this is something that has been, there's a lot of work and thought that we have put into, you know, everything. And most people put their their book out and that's where it ends. And I, I wanted to keep the momentum. I wanted not only to put the book out, but to show people where it came from and try to express the value of this book through production value, through telling the story. Um, to this day, if you buy the book, the book comes with um, two cards with QR codes printed on them one will take you to the website one will take you to the 2012 documentary actually subtitled in English for you to watch um the documentary that inspired oh uh, more than 10 years ago this book so yeah for free of course yeah.
1: well when you nail down some of your schedule yeah for the exactly. first part of 2023 uh please share it with us and, and we'll make it available so that uh, people can come and see you i may come too if i can if i'm in town
0: well that would be fantastic bob getting to uh to meet you in person but absolutely yeah everything will be put on the on the website and i i very much appreciate talking to you i'm a fan of the magazine and um, you know who knows if another three four years i'll have another project on we'll back on your show talk about it what the heck
1: you're welcome anytime <laughs>
0: appreciate it bob
1: well, thanks, Carlos. You have the uh, good luck in your promotion of the book. We're recording this before Christmas. I'm going to say Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> Anyways, have a great holiday season. Thank you,
0: Bob. You too. I